Hawks Nation, the podcast representing the best fans in college football. Now, here's Tyler and Jerry. What's happening, Buffs fans? Welcome into another episode of the Buffs Nation podcast. Coming off the fifth win of the season, second win in a row, Buffs get the 20-14 to win on senior night over the Washington Huskies. To my right, Jared All. Jared, how you doing? Man, just feeling great coming off of that win. I have to uh, apologize to everyone in advance if my voice goes on me today. I'm still uh, recovering a little bit from Saturday's J- game. Jared's a yeller. If you ever sit in front of Jared at a sporting event, you, you know you're in front of Jared. Let's put it that way. Jared gets into these games, man. Sometimes I think I can I can see the, the players on the field looking up <laughs> at me. I get so loud sometimes. Well, you are, you're the only person who I have to adjust the volumes for to go below mine. Everyone else, I put the volume above me because everyone, a lot of people, when they get behind the mic, they kind of start talking. And everyone else is so quiet that you're the only person who I do podcasts with that I have to put your volume lower than mine because you come in here yelling. My whole life, everyone has always told me I'm <laughs> so obnoxious. Loud, loud. Man. You, would, you would think that would set in at some point. But, you know, kind of what I always tell people is I make sure that in a group of people, if one person is going to be heard... It's me. I'm the one heard over all else. Well, you know what? It's because you have good things to say. You picked the buffs to win last week. What did you say? 20 to 13? I was score? Pretty, I had it, I think, 21 to 17 or something you had right a score, in the ballpark. I, I was there, watching yeah. the game going, Jared's going to get this thing right. It's like on uh, The Waterboy where, he, where she's picking the exact score and, <laughs> and they keep panning over to her. But uh, thoughts about the 20 to 14 win. If I can give you my first thought and kind of build off that, my... I was scared coming into this game, not because of the talent, not because of anything except really for the coaching staff. And this had nothing to do with Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker's proven more to me. Every single time I watch the Buffs play, I'm more about Mel Tucker. I'm getting more and more on that bandwagon. It was about Chris Peterson. This guy's a top five coach in the nation. And what I saw Saturday night in Boulder was a Colorado coaching staff out coaching Chris Peterson from the first quarter to the fourth quarter. So that was my main takeaway is, man, this coaching staff is showing me they're growing just as much as the team should be growing. And what I really saw and took away from this game is it you can really feel what a Mel Tucker Colorado Buffaloes team looks like. And I think we're starting to really see that a physical, attacking, aggressive team led by this defense now two or three weeks in a row. It, it's really great to see the buffs coming together down the stretch here. Are you talking quieter now that I brought that up? I know. <laughs> yes, I'm looking over here. Your, your levels are all low now. It's like you, you don't have to purposely to do it. it. Like I said, the voice is a little bit raspy today coming off of man. the weekend. Um, our player to watch, uh, my, my key player on offense was uh, Alex Fontenot. Now he's uh, 24 carries, okay? As a team, Colorado had 41 carries. Fontenot had 24. No other player had over six and I don't mind, Jared. I don't mind at all. This isn't the NFL where you have to go running back by committee. There's no, I don't think, especially the, the style that Colorado's playing. He's getting off. He's not on every single down. Uh, Jaron Mangum's coming in, doing a good job blocking when he's in there. So Fontenot's doing everything he's asked and more, but he got the rock 24 times, 4.4 a carry, got in the end zone once. He was a major factor in this game. He allowed Colorado to control the ball and control the clock this game. So Alex Fontenot, I think, in the rushing game, had a huge impact. Especially down the stretch. They really leaned on Fontenot in the fourth quarter. Um, their their last drive of the game, I believe, was over five minutes. Uh, it was, you know, something like uh, 
89 yards or something like that. So they were starting their their own goal line. They just really leaned on him, and and that's why. That's that key. When we talk about that balance all year long, that's why. You're going to get to a point in a game where you're up by less than a touchdown, and you cannot give the ball back to the other team, and Alex Fontenot allowed them to do that. All right, let's go to the passing game. And I think the coaching staff is realizing, maybe a little late in the season, but hey, new staff, new members getting used to these players – that it's acceptable. It really is for me, folks. And I don't just say that willy-nilly. I think you, anyone who's been listening knows I'm tough when I think it, it deserves to be tough. or I, it, I think that a situation warrants toughness. But Montez throwing the ball 28 times compared to the 41 rushing attempts for 220, uh, yeah, 28 times, 223 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Jared, that's the ideal game. I don't want to put any magic number on it like uh, if he throws the ball fewer than 30 times, anything like that. But Colorado, the way they're built this season, and probably looking at the quarterbacks we have coming next year, the offensive line we're bringing back, the offensive line we'll have, Colorado should probably be a team that's running at about a one and a half or two to one ratio. I want to keep the ball on the ground and make things easier for Montez. When Montez is throwing the ball for over 40 times a game, that makes it harder on him because everyone's playing the pass and it makes it harder harder on the offensive line because when they have to go from uh, uh, pass blocking, pass blocking, pass blocking to suddenly run blocking, it's tough to be aggressive. No one talks about that. Everyone always talks about the quarterback and the special teams guys, or I should say the, the skill position guys. The line going from run blocking to pass blocking is so so much more difficult, excuse me, pass blocking to run blocking than being aggressive, 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 and then being asked to pass block occasionally. It helps Montez. It helps the offensive line. I think it helps the running backs. This style that we saw Colorado implement this weekend was probably the best I've seen all season. It really was. I won't necessarily say this was their best offensive performance, but in terms of the style of play of what this team needs to be successful it really played into that and and it goes to me beyond just choosing to run more than you are passing it's looking at what Steven Montez did with his feet the guy had 56 rushing yards on the game several of those were him scrambling him getting outside of the pocket realizing hey nothing's there I don't need to force the ball like we've seen him do at times this year especially yep. in big moments no he realized hey I have a first down here and that first down wasn't just a first down it was 20 30 yards a, a, a click there and so it really really was good to see him seem to be comfortable they were putting him in a good spot to be successful and I think that actually was one of the biggest differences in the game is his ability to use his legs to open things up and that's what I think obviously for those who have not watched any college football or NFL football for the last three years that's where the sport's going I mean look at the NFL now the guys were winning right it's it was Russell Wilson forever and, and now it's Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray and these guys who can move. You have to have a quarterback who can scramble around back there. That's why when I look next year to the Buffs, it's going to be interesting. Blake Stenstrom showed us earlier this year. I mean, that kid's got some moving. He's got a little shake yeah, and bake I didn't, to him. I didn't know that about I didn't him either. coming into this year. So it's good to see he does have some good athleticism to build off. And then we have that uh, recruit coming in. Uh, uh Lewis, and yeah, you don't, you Brandon don't to, Lewis, Brandon Lewis, but but and he's supposed to be a dual threat, right? Yes. So he can run as well. So Colorado's going to have a couple quarterbacks next year on the roster who can move. And I think you're exactly right, Jerry. That was probably an X factor in this game, and I want to see more of that moving forward with the Buffs. Right, let's get to the uh, receivers. Montez completed 17 passes on the game. Seven of those went to one Lavisca Chenault Jr. Seven catches, 100 yards exactly on the game, and a touchdown. 
Jared, I've been talking to a lot of different people last week about LaVisca Chenault, and I tell everyone, yeah, you know, the the my my partner for the Boston Nation podcast, he's an NFL draft specialist, and he really thinks there's a good chance LaVisca Chenault uh, stays back in town. And everybody has the same response. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Everyone's like, are you kidding me? He's a he's a first-round draft pick. So I'm going to give you one more opportunity, Jared, to state your your reasons why you think LaVisca may be back next year. I think that the biggest, first and foremost, reason is nothing to do with LaVisca Chenault, his future, or this Buffs team moving forward. It's all about what is out there in this draft class. This draft class is not the, the strongest draft class overall. You're not seeing a ton of defensive talent. You're not seeing a ton of offensive line talent. Even this quarterback class that a lot of people thought was going to be really good is starting to, you know, you're finding poking holes in it. One area that is really, really strong in this wide res- is the wide receiver class. It is. Okay? And I have even seen now on, on Mel Kuyper's list, on Todd McShay's list, on Matt, Matt Miller from Bleacher Report, his list, I have seen him as low as sixth. LaVisca Chenault as the sixth ranked wide receiver. And I'd have to do a little bit of research, but I cannot remember a time where six wide receivers went in the first round. No, that's a huge number. So if you're and, going and- mid early to mid-second round versus potentially a top 10 pick, that's a big difference. And I think he's the type of guy that can be on guys' radars all season next year. And I think the biggest knock on LaVisca Chenault right now, if you're looking at just his skill set, is the injury history that he's had. And I think if he can take an entire year, prove he can be healthy, that these have been anomalies and not the norm, if he can have an entire healthy season, I think that could be the difference in him jumping up into that top 10 category. No, you're starting to convince me. I mean, and that's the thing is, I was playing the... I was on your side this weekend, man. I was... I was uh, playing the whole, no, man, he's got some good points. They're like, what the heck could his points be? And I started listing them off, and everyone's like... Okay, maybe, but I mean, he's just such an elite talent. Let me tell you one thing. If he does come back next year, whoo-wee. I mean, with the coaching staff with one year to get to know him, watch out, folks. Watch out, Pac-12 country. But we do know one thing. We've got one more game with him, and we're about to preview that game here in a couple minutes. But wrapping up the Washington game, LaVisca did have seven catches for the 100, like I said. Big game from him. That great catch in the touchdown, man. Oh, my God. Is, is Sports Center uh, top 10 still a thing? It is, Dino, but you know, Dino, not I, as much I, anymore. Yeah, it's, it, that, remember that when we were in, in like middle Dino, school, Dino, high school. Dino, Dino. Oh yeah, like man. the top ten was everything. Man. I would and stay up Friday late nights. on like the Friday nights no, well, to fr- catch it. No, no, Friday nights they had the not top ten. Oh, that's remember? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and they'd play the uh, the goofy music behind it, and it's like hockey players like falling over and stuff. You get like missed dunks. Like water polo errors. You know the problem, Tyler, with uh, with with the not top ten is I found that uh, teams from the Denver metro area seem to pop up on there a few too many times. Yeah, we're in the Rockies. But uh, if the top ten still existed, no doubt about that, Chenault would have been like one of the top ones, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. That it was, was one solid, of those. Man. When you're watching it live in the game, it was like you didn't even think twice. There's no way he caught that ball. And then when you're like, wait, wait, wait. Did, did they just call that a touchdown? You know, <laughs> right. and so you're you're sitting wait for the replay to come up because you had to check it yourself. It just did not seem like that could have been a catch. Unbelievable play for him, and and I th- would say that was one of the, if not the, turning point in that game because it seemed like the Buffs were they were of, losing momentum. Yes, no and, and doubt it about it. Re kind of solidified where they were in that game. Colorado, the momentum in this game was all CU in the first half, and as the second half crept along, Washington looked like they were going to come back in this thing, and Jerry. 
Jared. I mean, this isn't anti-CU, but when you've gone through the heartbreak we've got, not just this season, but the last, what, 10-plus years for Colorado football, you start to get used to, oh, no, not again, you know, not again. But something tells me that this team is different. I don't think I was talking to you because we try and keep all of our conversation for the show, and I forget who I was talking to, but it was that uh, Mike McIntyre played a lot of close games, but he didn't win them. You know, it, it, it takes something to get over the hump and win these games. And like I led the show with, Chris Peterson's one of the best coaches in the country. For Washington to gain that momentum in the second half, and for Colorado to be able to stifle it, like you said, long drive at the end, good play calling, so impressed overall with uh, with everybody from the players to the coaches. And uh, Jared, Colorado once again gets the twenty to fourteen win. Uh, Nate Landman, by the way, led the team in tackles. Big surprise there, shocker. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what do you think of the defense overall? Uh, Keeping Washington to fourteen points. You know, shut out in the first half. I have been so impressed with this defense over the last few weeks. I know we had a little bit of a blip there against UCLA, but over the last month or so of the season, you could just really see it coming on. And for the first time, or one of the first times this season. The, the defense was really led by the pass rush, something that has been an area of weakness for the Buffs all season yeah. long. They had five sacks on the day, and I'll tell you what, uh, Jacob Eason is somebody that a lot of people have talked about as an NFL prospect. I don't get it. I saw nothing out of Jacob Eason that was impressive in that game, and and maybe it was just the Buffs were that much in his head because he was not on target on any deep throws. He was panicking every time the rush was in his face, and the rush was in his face all day long. Uh, another guy that I just keep pointing out to, Devion Taylor, another sack on the day, also had the, the quarterback hit that forced the interception to Nate Landman, another big turning point in the game. I believe they were in the, the Washington was in the red zone they were driving. at that time. Yep. And, uh, Man, the blitzing all day long. That's that's a little bit different than what we saw early in the year. And I like and, the aggressive. And I though, take man. from that that Mel Tucker and, and defensive coordinator, uh, defensive coordinator Tyson Summers are starting to feel more comfortable, more confident in their players on the back end of this defense. That they feel more confident that they can put those DBs on an island and bring the blitzes because it was very effective for them in this game. Big win, man. CU gets to five on the season, and I hit my uh, my season win total. That's right. Hey, I didn't even think about that. Hey, yo, that's uh, that's uh, <laughs> before the year I had uh, made a bet. Colorado over four wins. Whoa, I am on fire. There we go, Jared. I, and I do have to say, as, as happy and thrilled as I was came, coming away from this game, yeah. there was just that little bit of me that just went, man, what could have been right. with it, this it, season? If it clicked a little bit earlier. Man, it's frustrating when you look at, Games like USC, Air Force, even Arizona. I mean, we could be talking about a, a Colorado Buffaloes team looking for their eighth win. I know, right now. I know, and and that's a whole different feel around the country about where Colorado is as a program. But don't let that take away from what this coaching staff and this team is building because yes there were some struggles early on yes that was to be expected with the new coaching staff but you really feel it coming together regardless of whether going for win number eight or win number six you're in a position at the last game of the year to go get in a bowl game and that is a place you want to be that's so important colorado can make their first well they, they didn't make one last year it's been a couple years it right? was the 2016 the san antonio season, yeah. where we went down to texas right yeah both you and i went to that game yeah i don't think either of us remember much of that. <laughs> but that was that was the last time that they it was went, yes right? it was wow. first bowl game in a couple years see you could be doing that we'll break down the colorado utah game coming up next after this one and only commercial break 
All right, this is a Woos Media production, and we want to uh, talk about the advertising side of Woos Media. If you own a business or know anyone who owns a business, you've got to check out WoosMedia.com. That's W-O-O-Z-E Media.com. Have you ever been typing something in? Let's say you're searching for patio furniture, and then later on that week, you're reading an article maybe on... I don't know what's what. What do a lot of people go on these days? Is Time like Time? Maybe New York, po- the New York Post. I, I don't. I'm not smart enough. Like People is stuff. People still a big one? Like in the, you know, remember the old magazine People magazine? Uh, do I look like the type of person that reads <laughs> People, Tyler? Well, I'm sure there's like a website now, like a People website. But whatever it is, let's say there is a People website, and you're searching for patio furniture later on that week. You're you're reading your article, maybe about Kylie Jenner, whatever it may be. And what audience do I think we're talking to here? I don't know. I look at cubuffs.com. Yeah, let, let, let's go there. Let's go cubuffs.com. And in the middle of an article, you're going to get an ad for patio furniture. Well, how does that happen, right? It's it's Google collecting information, seeing who's searching for what. And it can really be effective for online marketing, online advertising. If you want to start showing up in front of real customers who are going to spend real money with your business... There's no better way than than what online advertising and new modern digital marketing can offer. So get up to date, get the most revolutionary uh, Google advertising with Woos Media online, woosmedia.com. Want to also thank the Wise Listing System team. They are a uh, great realtor here in the greater Denver metro area. If you're looking to move to a house, mansion, apartment, condo, let them take care of it. They'll set up all the showings, make the whole process very easy, very seamless for you. And I know how stressful it can be. You're spending money. You're doing a whole bunch of things while you're moving. Let the Wise Listing System team make it easier for you. Check them out online, paymyfirstmonth.com, and they'll do just that. I've just said they'll make it easier for you setting everything up, You know, kind of taking the stress away from everything that goes with moving, but they'll also pay your first month's mortgage. How big is that? It costs so much money to move. So many little expenses here or there. Have them take care of your first month online, paymyfirstmonth.com. And last but not least, I want to thank topnotchodds.com. Great new online sports book growing fast for a very good reason. Uh, sports betting just got legalized in the state of Colorado. Yahoo! May 1st, you can make your first bets at uh, any sports book. So, uh, here in the state. So, folks, if you want to get a head start, if you want to make sure that you've got a good website when things hit the ground running, get on topnotchodds.com. Uh, they're going to offer a ton of different bets for every game you can think of, certainly college football. They're not going to have any shortage of college football. And uh, if you put in promo code SHARPEDGE, you can get up to a 200% deposit bonus. So if you put 100 bucks in the website, by the way, it's easy, easy to get money in and easier to get money out. There's a lot of websites out there and not that easy to get your money out once you put it in. It's easy. They, they can get you your money within hours of requesting a deposit or a, a withdrawal at topnotchodds.com. So if you put in promo code SHARPEDGE, they'll get you up to a 200% deposit, uh, deposit bonus. You put in 100 bucks. Before you know it, you have 300 in your account. So online, topnotchodds.com, promo code SHARPEDGE. All right, Jared, one game left this season, and I didn't think a couple... If, if we go in a time machine, go four weeks ago, I didn't think there's any way Colorado would be battling to make a bowl game. But you know what? CU, Utah, and this fabricated rivalry... We, we got a shot, man. Ooh, I hate them Utah Utes. <laughs> Let, let's get that out of the way. It, Colorado and Utah is not a rivalry. It happens to take place on rivalry weekend... It happens to be the scheduled last game of the season for both these teams. 
I think there's now a name for the game. I don't even know. It's something Rocky Mountain. Rumble in the Rockies. Yeah, Rumble in the like Rockies. That, that sounds Folks, right. Folks, you can't just slap a name on a, on a game and make it a rivalry. But Tyler, here's what I will say to that, okay? I agree with you. This is not a rivalry. Colorado is lacking that right now. But you want to know how rivalries start? You go in on the road against a team that everybody in the country is predicting to win the Pac-12, probably Maybe go to the playoffs. be in the playoffs, yeah. and you go beat that team. You go ruin their season. You don't think Utah next year is going to have it out for you? Well, That's how you start this. got to be year after year where you go in and you stomp a team. I'm not disputing that. I agree that's how rivalries are started, but it seems like we're putting the cart before the horse here. Exactly. And, and we're all naming the rivalry and saying, well, it could be a rivalry if A, B, C, and D happen. It's like... The eh, Look, when Bill McCartney came here and he said, we're going to go beat Nebraska in their backyard, we're going to make them a rival, he put the cart before the horse, right? But that's the, those were the days where Nebraska was a habitual top 10 team. He wanted to point them out and say, look, those guys own the Big 8. We are going to show them that the Big 8 now belongs to Colorado. And so they kind of, you know, it's like going to the SEC and saying we're going to beat Alabama. That's not really Utah's place in the Pac-12. Utah and Colorado were pretty much on an even playing field yeah, when they exactly. joined the Pac-12. It was like, ah, well, I guess you two will be rivals now. And, and Utah's had a better history of coaches. Let's face it, with Urban Meyer, Kyle Whittingham now, they have very, very good history of hiring head coaches who tend to get the most out of Utah. I mean, they get pretty good recruits. I know they get a lot of those Samoan type of guys who come, uh, guys who come over and play. So... I mean, they're one of the better coach teams in the Pac-12, but you're right. When they came into the Pac with Colorado, pretty much the same level. But but rivalries are, are made over years and decades of good games, and a rivalry shouldn't be defined by a newspaper article. A rivalry should be defined, you go up to a tailgate before a game, and you say, hey, is this a rivalry? And if everyone goes, yeah, bleep Nebraska or bleep CSU, that's when you know it's a rivalry. No one cares about Utah. It doesn't matter if they're 10-1. and one. No one really cares, at least the people I talk to, the people I'm around. No one goes, oh, yeah, as long as we beat Utah, it's a good year. What? See, and to me, a rival is the type of team that, you know, if, if Utah does ultimately make it in the playoff, I, I think you and I would probably both be rooting for them in the playoff. Oh, no I, doubt about it. I would not be rooting for a rival team. If this is Nebraska going to the playoff, I don't care if CU hasn't played them in 30 years. Exactly. I would hope that they get demolished in there. Whereas Utah goes in, I want to see the Pac-12 represent well. I'm going to root for them. I could care less about them outside of wanting to beat them on Saturday. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what it comes down to. But Jared, they are the one team standing in CU's way to making a bowl game right now according to ESPN's football power index predictor the matchup predictor they're giving Utah a 95.1% chance to win the game if I'm good at my math that gives Colorado a 4.9% chance uh, that's that's kind of bleak going into things and you know Tyler I think if I remember back correctly to our uh, opening show of the season we talked about our, our predictions for who is going to win the conferences I yes, believe sir. you and I both had Utah in that top spot winning the Pac-12 and I really don't think they've fallen off much from that spot all year long at least in my mind I can't speak for you so that, that loss to USC did a lot perception wise but they're still uh, this is still a very good football and, team. and this is a USC team that by the way is now ranked I believe they snuck in like 24 20 Last, really? last week on the wow. uh, the the playoff uh, poll, but regardless, beside the point. Um, 
so it's 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 not an easy task. The the Buffs certainly have a very tall task going into this week. Um, Utah is this is probably one of the better Utah teams I can ever remember. Their their defense all the way around is lights out, and offensively they're they're not explosive. They're not you know your Pac-12 light it up, put up 50 points a week, but they're very efficient. They don't turn the ball over, and they can run the ball. Let's start there. So Utah, if you look at uh, offensive passing yards and rushing yards, so I'm going to boil this down to four stats. Total points scored per game, passing yards, rushing yards, and time of possession. Utah dominates CU in every one of those categories except for passing yards, Jared. Both Colorado and Utah averaging 245 passing yards per game. Okay. Now let's let's kind of stay with Utah's offense. Now that we'll go to the Buffs, what does CU have to do to stop Utah's passing game? Now we'll get to rushing because Utah's most effective weapon on 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 offense is keeping the ball on the ground, both quarterback, running back, so on and so forth. What is Colorado going to have to do to slow down Utah in the air? The Utes are a very good team. Like I said, 245 in the air. They're good throwing it when they want to. Leading ru- leading receiver on the team is a tight end. Uh, Brian Queefy, Queefy, who cares? He's Utah's tight end, but he's good. And and he's got 26 catches on the year for about 500 yards. He's their number one target. And if there's one thing I learned about the Buffs last weekend, it's that they have mightily improved, not just covering running backs, but tight ends. I mean, it, CU, before the season started, I would have said the one, if there's an issue of covering guys on the outside, even though there were some question marks at cornerback, covering guys on the outside or covering guys on the inside, tight ends, H-backs, uh, running backs, the inside was the issue, right? Last week proved to me Washington tried to go tight end, running back over and over again, and Colorado stifled it. This weekend, same kind of matchup. As I said, leading receiver, tight end. Their third best receiver, Zach Moss, their running back. So, Jared, a lot of guys catching the ball, tight ends, running backs. I think these linebackers are going to have to show up again this week. Yeah, and it's a little bit of a tough, uh, tougher matchup than it was going against Washington because one of the big you know, kind of obvious things going up against Washington was attack the quarterback, get after the quarterback because that was a weakness for theirs. Well, you got to be very careful with that going against Utah because quarterback uh, Tyler Huntley is a great athlete. He By the can way, run the ball. Has Tyler Huntley been there for like nine years now? Uh, am I crazy? He's, right? he's, he's like Van Wilder. Uh, and and he transferred in there. So I, I don't <laughs> even I don't even know. I think sometimes there's a, you know, like the fifth down glitch for, for exactly, the I think yeah. there's some things like that where maybe somebody's <laughs> uh, class gets carried over wrong for you and nobody catches it. Uh, but but Tyler Huntley's a great athlete, and they love to run the ball. They also, like you, you just talked about, like to get the ball in the hands of running back Zach Moss. So if you attack him, if you blitz them, you're leaving a lot of holes, a lot of openings for them. So I really do think it is going to be incumbent upon this back seven. The linebackers, the defensive backs, they've got to lock guys down. They've got to find a way in one-on-one coverage to make plays, and they're going to have to hold their coverage for longer than they're usually expected to do. Who on Utah's offense, if it does come down to Tyler Huntley at quarterback, Zach Moss at running back, those are clearly, folks, the two best offensive players on the team. If you have to boil it down to one of those guys, who do you want to limit? Now, I'll go first. I would limit Tyler Huntley, and here's why. As you mentioned, Jared, great rusher, okay? 228 yards this season, five touchdowns on the ground. But this guy's even better in the air. He's completing 75% of his passes, 14 touchdowns, two interceptions, and he's been sacked an average of just over, just about once per game. And that's due to his elusiveness, not this great offensive line. Even though it's a good line, but it's more this guy moving around. So if you can shut down Tyler Huntley, I don't care if Zach Moss has a career day. They're not going to have a great chance to, to pull away from the buffs if you can limit 
Tyler Huntley. What do you say to that See, question? See, I disagree wholeheartedly. I think this entire offense builds off of Zach Moss. I think what he does and what he brings as far as pulling guys into the box, making you stack the box with eight or nine guys, it then allows Tyler Huntley opportunities. So if you can force them to be a passing team, force them into third and longs, I think it greatly limits what they can do. I, I'll be honest. Tyler Huntley's a solid quarterback. I've never thought he was a great quarterback. Really? I just think he's one of those guys that he fits the system well, and I think they've they've modified their system to play to his strengths a little bit more. This is never a team that you saw spread it out as much as you do now, but I just don't think he's great. I think he's smart and he's efficient. So I think if you take away the easy things from Tyler Huntley, force him to make long, deep throws, tight windows – I think that is your advantage in this game. If you can keep Zach Moss under 100 yards, I think that's the difference in the game. And they've been doing well, man. I mean, you look at their last couple games. Utah is scoring 35, 49, 35, 35, 21, 52, 38. We'll talk about the defense here in a second, but Utah's putting points at really an all-time high. So it is important. You, you said Zach Moss, you want to show him down, Tyler Huntley, whoever it is, you have to make sure to neutralize one of those guys because if they both have a big day, Utah will run away with this thing. The spread, of the, What's the spread of this thing? <laughs> do you really want to know? I do. Let me have it. 28. <laughs> oh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And that coming off of last week where you and I, as we got close to, to, to kickoff and we saw Washington was a 14-point favorite at Boulder, that was just that was easy money to get. And I know you hate when I use that term, but holy man, did we run away with some money there. So I see 28, Tyler. I, I'm like, is this too good to be true? Should I jump on this? Should I bet the mortgage? What do you say? Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about lines because... Last week, you're correct that I think that line was overinflated. There was definitely some value with the buffs. This Utah team is very different than Washington. Washington had a down season. Every stat that you could apply to Washington in the last few years didn't apply this year. And I'll also say this about Utah. They're consistently outperforming expectation. If you look at what it means to go against the spread, okay? Those are the lines. For those who don't know, uh, we just said Utah's a 28-point favorite. That means Utah is, the spread is 28 points, and Utah is expected to win by 28. So the expectations this game are for CU to lose by 28, Utah to win by 28, right? So technically, in the eyes of the market, the live market as, as it is live right now as we do this podcast Monday night, if you if Colorado loses this weekend by 20 points, that will technically be Colorado outperforming expectation. The expectation is a 28-point game here by Utah. The only negative thing here is that Utah this season is 8-3 and three against that number. So they've overperformed expectations all season long. They're at home in a comfortable spot. So to think that they won't do it again, if this is not Colorado and some other team, I, you know, Utah's a very good team and they're on a roll right now. So let me throw this at you. This is a conversation I had with, with some friends this morning of... When you look at, again, we talked about motivation factor last week going into Washington. I think that was very apparent that the Buffs had more motivation in that game than Washington did going into it. Buffs obviously have equal amount of motivation maximum, this week. Maximum motivation. Because th th this is it. You win this, you go to a bowl. You lose this, you're done. Does Utah have the necessary motivation Oh, right yeah, man. Oh, yeah. This is, a, this is the quarterfinals, the playoffs for them. You know, They're looking at this as... Again, like I just said, the quarterfinals in a single elimination tournament. They win this, they're in the semifinals against uh, Oregon. And if they beat Oregon, then they're in the, you know, then they accomplish their goal and they get to the final four. So yeah, Utah, 
unfortunately for the Buffs, will have max motivation this game. You know, this is a championship game for both teams. This is so much on the line for each team. And just because Utah still might make a bowl, playoffs, all that stuff, no, they're going to approach this as a absolute must-win game. They're going to be hyper-focused for Colorado and uh, see who's going to have to have a showing if they're going to win this. Now, we just talked about Utah's offense, how to slow them down. Let's flip sides here and go to Utah's defense. What does this defense look like? Well, let's go to some uh, major stats like we started with last time. What's what, up, Jared? What do they do well? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, on the year, Utah is allowing 10 points per game. They're allowing 55 rushing yards per game. Good for first in the nation. Yep, yeah, number one in the nation. They're allowing 187 through the air. They are uh, allowing 4.24 yards per play, which is good for a top 25 stat. Jared, this Utah defense is good. They're getting better this season. And you go back and look at last couple games, they allowed seven on the road to Arizona. They allowed three to UCLA. We know what UCLA did to the Buffs. Yeah, they played Washington, a good Washington team, and, and, and they allowed 28. They shut out Cal. They gave up three to Arizona State. They gave up seven to Oregon State. Do I need to keep going on? This is a great defense. And if we're talking Utah's defense versus Utah's offense, I think that they absolutely win games with their defense. And if they do get into the playoffs, Jared, it's going to be the defense that, that, that allows them to succeed in the playoffs. You know, and this is a little bit of a side topic here, but you and I were talking last week about Oregon. At the time, going into this last week, I which, thought they had wow, it. talk about that loss for Oregon, going losing to an Arizona State team that this Not Buffaloes good. were able to take down. But uh, anyways, we had talked about what is what does Oregon look like? Do they belong in the playoff, or, or, or are they overmatched? And, and I looked at Oregon to me, would get demolished against any of the other three teams that are in there. Utah is a different team. They have the best, I would argue, the best defense in the country. And that is what really? you need. You, you would say number to one go in the country? At, look at their stats. When you, I mean, when you just go across, passing uh, and, uh, nationally, uh, passing yards, 17th in the country, rushing yards, first in the country, total yards, third in the country, scoring, fourth in the country. So there's certainly, I mean, look, we can say there are... I think it, the, the argument could be made that they're definitely the best defense in the nation, if not a top-five defense. And so I think that's what will allow them, because not only do they have a great defense, but they also play a little bit of a different style of football than what you're going to see from the other teams within the playoffs. So if Utah does ultimately make it into the playoffs, I think if they could play their type of game, that could give them an edge over an SEC or a Big Ten team. Good linebackers for this Utah team. Francis Bernard and Devin Lloyd up the middle. Those two guys lead the team in tackles, and it's really not very close to the third and fourth and fifth tacklers. They're going to be the ones making the majority of the plays. So you got to know, offensive line, tight ends, crackback blocks for receivers. Know Francis Bernard and Devin Lloyd. Know where they are on the field at all times because they are. And, and I think it's important, Jared. When you're going to be great in the Pac-12, you have to have an elite set of linebackers. We see that every year. It's usually Washington that has that great linebackers, sometimes USC. It's Utah this year that has the elite linebackers in the Pac-12, and it's proving itself right here. I mean, week in, week out, these guys show up. Uh, if you look a little bit down the list, uh, their next three tacklers, so the top two are linebackers, the next three are defensive backs. So this is an, a defense that brings their safeties up. They get involved in the rushing game. If you're going to allow 55 running yards, rushing yards a game, you're doing something right defensively, probably playing with those safeties a little bit loose, right, allowing them to play closer to the line of scrimmage. And so, you know, what's funny is, is, is as we're doing this podcast, as we're talking about this, 
they don't have many weaknesses. They don't. There's not a whole lot to exploit defensively for them. So what I think you got to do, I think that CU's game plan should be isolation. Try and you know use a lot of motion to try and tell what's going on before the play, see if it's man-to-man, zone, so forth. But isolate these guys. Get KD Nixon by himself. Get 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 Brown by himself. If you can get Lavisca by himself somehow, right? And and a com- you know some people. Well, how do you do that? If you run trips to one side, put Lavisca by himself on an island. Utah doubles him. Great. Now there's some advantage on the other side of the field. If they don't double him, great. There's your advantage. That's what Colorado has to do. Try and isolate these defensive backs into one-on-one situations. That's where I think Colorado may have an edge here. And something we saw the bus really lean towards last week that I've been kind of calling for all year long is using LaVisca Chanel out of the backfield. Not just as the Wildcat quarterback. There was two or three plays where he actually stayed in the backfield while they motioned the running back out as a wide receiver. And and what that does, it, it seems like a very small thing. What that does is... It, Typically, a linebacker or a safety is covering the running back out of the backfield. So if LaVisca Chenault is lining up as your running back, you either have to take one of your outside corners and now bring him into the box where he doesn't belong, or you're covering a linebacker on LaVisca Chenault, and that is a mismatch if I've ever seen one. So that's what you're talking about. Create mismatches. Create isolation opportunities where you can get the ball in your playmaker's hands quickly and let them make a play with the ball. And that's what these coaches for... Uh, Colorado are doing so well this season before the snap. Getting these guys in a good place to, to succeed pre-snap. It seems like what Colorado did for so long is like like uh, Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, snap the ball and then we're going to figure out what to do, right? Now this team, they're doing it before the snap, which is so encouraging and I agree, man. Put Visca in the backfield and I've said this for a few games this year, but it's never more important than a must-win game at the end of the season. What What is the line on Waterboy? Last game of the year, Brent. They can't hold anything back now. right? Well, that's how Colorado has to approach this game. And so I want to see fake punts. I want to see you getting the ball to the outside, some double reverses, some flea flickers, the annexation of Puerto Rico. You know, remember that little job? Oh yeah. You know, what, you know what I think the Buffs should just do. This is this is my. I'm going to play offensive coordinator. Okay, all we're right, gonna right. we're gonna game plan. This is how you come out for your first ten plays of the game. Lavisca Chenault Wildcat. Go until <laughs> they stop 10. it. Just go until they stop it. And then once they stop it, then you figure out where you go from there. Who is this? Who are you, Mike McIntyre? <laughs> That's right. That's God, right. dude. <laughs> All right, so overall, not a whole lot of hole, not a ton of holes in this uh, Utah defense. I think the one way to succeed is you isolate them, try and get man to man, and you let these guys, these talented guys on the outside, as I said, Nixon, Chenault, maybe even Fontenot out of the backfield, do their work and get open in these one on one spots. And we talked about a few moments ago just how strong this Utah defense is against the run. Only allowing 55 yards, best in the country. That does not mean you stay away from the run. You have to continue to go to the run. And I'm not saying it's 41 carries this week. That may not be the case. You may not be in a situation to run the ball 40-plus times, but you have to keep them honest. You cannot allow them to just tee off on your offensive line or your quarterback. Going back to what you're talking about with the offensive line, you got to let these guys attack a little bit, set the tone so that you can open up some things in your passing game. Special teams, I see no real advantage one way or another here. Uh, James Stefano on the season, 12 of 17. Is uh, he is he coming back yet? Was Evan Price was 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 kicking again this I last know, wasn't week. He, he I'm may not sure. be finishing the year. He may be taking over that starting yeah, spot. Yeah, I, I think so. He's Look, looked very good. Exactly. Like I said, Stefano, 12 of 17, but but to Evan Price is five for five on the year and perfect from uh, the extra point, the charity stripe in football, as they call it. Uh, Jaden Redding or Jadon Redding, who cares? He plays for Utah. He is their kicker, 8 for 11 on the year, 72%, and he is good, 48 of 48 for extra points made. In terms of kick returns, punt returns, doesn't look like either team has a real advantage here. 
Um, you remember when there was a day that there was a time that it, you didn't even have to list the extra points. It was just a given that they <laughs> right? were made. Like now all of a sudden it's just like you're, you're making well, 70, 80% of it them. It seems like kickers are getting more and more used to the long kick and not to focus too much on Utah here. We are playing him this week. Uh, there's a kicker now in the NFL, Matt Gay, and he played at Utah for a number of years. He plays now for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's funny because Bruce Arians this year came out and said, hey, look, this guy is great, you know, 40-plus. But when we get in closer, he's he's not very good. He's only, I think he's like 66 or 70% this year, under 30 yards. So what Bruce Arians has started doing, taking delay game penalties. It, yeah, he last week he, he took a penalty to make a kick 29 yards to 34, you know, just to make it easier on him. So I think kickers nowadays are like getting used to, it's like, it's like in baseball where power pitching, if you couldn't throw 95 in high school, you had no chance to succeed. So everyone started really stressing, pitching hard and, and throwing hard and all velocity, 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 and you lost the nuances of pitching. Same thing's happening here with kickers. It's like, it's so sexy now to be able to kick the 55-yard field goal. You're, you're extending scoring position when you do that. But the nuance of actual accuracy gets lost there. So it's funny. You're seeing this kind of translate from high school out of college to the NFL. And I think that we're seeing that with some of these Utah kickers as well. Uh, but Colorado, man, Evan Price, he's he's the real deal. I think so. I think so. And he's, he's I don't know, he's been there, seems like, several years no, already. But I, I, think, I said it before, Davis I, Price I is know, the other one. I know, but it seems like there's been a couple of Prices. I, I don't I think know, you're, man. I think you're that, losing your mind over here. That happened a long time ago, <laughs> Tyler. Just <laughs> right. accept it. All right, let's get some scores for the uh, Utah-Colorado game. I'll go first, Jared. And, man, we picked the Buffs to win almost every game this year. But we got to do the audience. Uh, I think that the people who listen to this show know that we're honest and know that they're not just going to get fanboy radio and we are hard on the Buffs when they deserve it, and we give the Buffs love when they deserve it. But this game, uh, I don't I don't see Utah going on the road and winning. Maybe a different story if it were in Boulder, Senior Day, so on and so forth. But with Utah, they have a, a clear path to the playoffs in sight. They're playing at home. They've been elite this year, both defensively and offensively. Colorado's going to have to do pretty much everything right if they're going to get the upset on the road. I think Colorado shows up. I think they execute their offensive game plan, really hold this Utah defense at first, kind of at bay. But through the course of 60 minutes, I think Utah gets the win and puts up some points. I think Utah wins 35-27. Yes, I think Colorado will be successful, get on the board a couple times, but I think Utah ultimately gets the win here in Provo. Or, or uh Salt Lake City. Or BYU's in, yeah, BYU's Provo. Uh, this is Salt Lake City. What do you think, Jared? What do you got for the score here? You, you know, let, let's just put it this way. Utah looks like the strongest team in the Pac-12. But I think last week, many would have argued, that looked like Oregon. And what happened to them? Yeah. So I just I want to throw that out there. Because while I'm not taking the Buffs to win this game, I do truly believe if the Buffs put it all together – and bring everything that we saw out of them defensively over the last two weeks, bring their best offensive performance of the year. You put everything together of what we have seen from this team this year, they can win this game. So I don't want to put this here where it's just, that 28-point line to me, that's a joke. I'm sorry. That, that, that should be nowhere near 28 points in this game. I think the Buffs keep this game close throughout. I think you see a game actually somewhat similar to the first half of the Washington game where it's going to be low scoring early. I think that the defenses are going to be strong, figuring some things out. 
But I do think Utah starts to wear down. That running game of Utah starts to wear down the buffs, and I think they chip away from it. I don't see quite as much scoring in this game as what you have on this. I have Utah win in this game 24-14. to 14. All right, good stuff, man. You got anything else to uh, wrap this game up? No, just, you know, I just want to throw out it just as a, as a seasonal hole, and we're not done yet, guys. We will definitely be back next week. We'll, depending on what comes after this game, we'll have a couple more shows planned as, as the tail end of the season comes together. But it's just, it's such a different feeling you and i have been doing this show now for three years and it is such a different feeling right now than what i can remember sitting here the last week of november each last two seasons where you you really feel it you feel a team that's turned the corner you feel the promise you feel the opportunities coming ahead just let's just let's let's finish this season strong bus let's prove to the rest of the country where you truly fit in the pac-12 and nationally and go win a big game here man let's go take the the utes down in this one 100 man as jared said uh we will be back next week we are going to be off december 9th and then uh, back at it december 16th so yeah let's uh, hope the buffs get win number six come on buffaloes get the big win this weekend Uh, Remember to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk to you next week on the Buffs Nation.